Hey everybody, welcome to episode Eiffel 65 of the Mana Guys podcast. Um, I'm Daniel, and apparently today I am Blue Dava D Dava Da, and I'm joined on the line by uh, my co-host Simon. Hey Simon, how you doing? Oh, I mean, I'd be doing a lot better if uh, I'd actually recorded this the first time we'd done it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm feeling rejuvenated, had some time to, to gather my thoughts back together, and I'm hoping that the new and improved blue episode is really gonna really gonna knock some people's socks off. Yeah, this is take two. We had some uh, some technical difficulties the first time around, but you know it was just a rehearsal, trying to bring everybody the best podcast content in the world. Yeah, it's you know it's um, a learning process, right? I mean, you got you got to make the mistake of not recording an episode at least once. <laughs> yeah, it's a rite of passage, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm glad we did it now and not you know. On a much later episode when I really, really should know what I'm doing when I'm recording. <laughs> so, um, Daniel, what are we talking about for the second time today? <laughs> for this, Okay. Today we're going to continue the color series that we did on the last podcast. Last episode we were doing red. Today we're doing probably uh, my favorite color nowadays. We're doing blue. Um, I play a lot of blue in 60-card formats, and I've also brewed a lot of, like random blue decks in um in edh like the the deck i've had for the longest is my like tassiger bug control deck i've just been playing it forever and i don't know there are a lot of sweet sweet blue cards um i don't think it's a i don't think it's a not well-known fact that uh blue has a lot of powerful cards in fact they've been getting a lot of powerful cards in commander legends but um yeah i, I don't know i just i love blue i love um controlling the game i love drawing cards uh, you even brought up something before we started recording. I love clone stuff. I don't know. Blue Blue does a lot, so I'm kind of excited to do a little, a little deep dive into one of the the most versatile, probably the most powerful color in uh, in ADH right now. Yeah, and for me, you know, I've been on both sides of the levee when it comes to blue. Like, Ooh. I um I've I've played mono blue decks. I played decks with blue in them. Um, obviously, playing blue, it's a great feeling. You're drawing the most cards. You're mm-hmm. controlling what other people play. But, you know, when I when I sit down at a table with someone playing a mono blue deck, like if I sit down across from a ball or like a... <laughs> yeah. Who's that four-mana Drake commander? Tall Rand. Tall, or tall Rand. Right? I just get, the, I get this I get this sinking feeling. It's like, all right, this game this game is going to be a struggle. I know I'm going to have to fight <laughs> through this person who, who basically gets the gets a say in anything I play, right? Uh, I think blue, like, definitely... It, it shapes how the rest of the table has to play, right? Even just, like, seating position can play a big role when you're when you're playing against somebody on blue, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, and to some degree, I feel like I almost overthink it when I play against a blue player. It's like, oh, right, so okay. I'm sitting two, two seats away from the blue player, which means they're more likely to counter my stuff if the person before me hasn't played anything, but the person after me might be a bigger threat than me, so maybe I let them be a bigger threat and play a little behind. I mean... It, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for that sort of like social game, right? Where you're like kind of yeah. trying to play your game around other people who are playing. So I I end up getting in my own head, and that's just the effect <laughs> that just sitting down against someone playing blue has on me. So I mean, really, I think yeah, I mean, like counter spells and like all this instant speed interaction that like every blue deck plays. You know, even if you're like you could have like an Edric aggro deck versus like. You play like a like a combo Nezahal blue deck that like is trying to with Carbon Charbelter, but both of those decks are still going to play some similar cards. You know they're going to play Counterspell, Arcane Denial, probably Psychrifts. We'll talk about Psychrifts. Don't worry. Oh yeah. Um, 
but yeah, just all that, all those instant speed plays, they really, I think they shape how you have to, how you have to sequence your own stuff. And it kind of introduces like a poker element in a way, like you can bluff, like in the way you sequence your spells and you can like, again, like play that, uh, play the metagame, like play the other player and like try to get him to maybe think that you think that this spell is more important than the one you're going to play next. And there's like all these mind games, all these mind games. Yeah, I feel I feel that for me, what like that's what makes blue. That's what makes blue. That's what makes it unique among all the colors, yeah. right? It's really the color that actively changes the way the game has to be played, especially in a multiplayer format. Don't even get me started about playing like with multiple blue decks, right? <laughs> yeah. That that can get absolutely insane at some point where there are multiple cyclonic lifts resolving, and you're picking up your permanents and putting them down and picking them back up again, and you try and resolve something, but someone counters it, and then you counter it, and then the other blue deck counters it. I mean, there, I don't think there are any other colors of magic that really can have so many things on the stack at once as blue, right? Outside yeah. of, you know, green triggers when they play a creature and draw <laughs> six cards off of it because they have a yeah, bunch of redundant yeah, yeah. copies of effects. So No, I mean, like, yeah, if you're trying to characterize, like, who blue is in, um, I guess, just in magic in a whole, you know, like... I feel like it, it really stakes its claim to the stack. You know, like, it, it just does the most on the stack. Um, I mean, like, you can also say, like, card draw and, like, clones and all this stuff. But when you get down to it, like, blue is the best at, uh, at kind of playing these instant speed, these games. Kind of playing, like, a, like a I guess we'll call it, like, a, a control thing, a control game plan in EDH, even though, like, control decks are kind of weird in EDH. But um, I think I think that's, like, when you're talking about blue, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I agree, and I think, I think to really understand blue and H, you do have to discuss this whole idea of control in EDH, right? Because when you're playing a control deck in a one v one format, your counter spells, your removal are one for mm-hmm. ones, right? You're spending a card to remove a card, and the best counter spells are counter spells that replace themselves, right? Cryptic command, yeah. Mystic confluence, dismiss. Oh boy, yeah, <laughs> or 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 free ones, right? Uh, yeah. Force of Will, Archmage's Arc Negate, that's what I'm going to call it, because it's Negation. Wait, what you, what? No, Negation. Oh, force of Negation. Force of yeah, Negation, yeah. that's what it is. I was thinking I was mixing up Archmage's Charm and uh, Force of Negation. Yeah, yeah. You know, three mana, vaguely similar similar cards, just with different purposes. <laughs> um, yeah, and in EDH, those kinds of exchanges are different, right? Just because, um, I think we, we've talked about this before, but... Like, if you and another player are going into this exchange where, like, you're spending one card to counter their one card, like, say they play, like, a Zendikar Resurgent, and then you, like, you, uh, I don't know, you cancel it, just, like, a generic example. You you and that player are both trading one for one, but the other two players at the table, they're not investing anything in that trade. And, like, for their purposes, like, both of their, both of their two opponents are just down a card. All these one-for-one trades are just actually much, much worse when you get down to an EDH. Yeah, and we brought this up in an earlier episode, um, the kind of lackadaisical manner, in the, at least in paper EDH, that many players have to correct priority passing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. When you're playing blue, um, in many ways, not only do you become the cop, people often expect you to <laughs> respond to things when yeah. may or may not respond in a proper manner based on the way priorities pass. So there is some of that sort of burden of interaction on you even if you're not necessarily trying to play this full-on control game plan. Which I think, if yeah. anything, is an argument to not really quite do that. You know? 
Yeah, that, that's kind of the awkward thing about uh, like paper play. I mean, like in on Magic Online, it uh, like it passes priority, like the way the rules work. But in like in paper, I don't know if if like if you're not like the main blue player, but you still have, like have a response, you can kind of like fudge it a little bit and like wait to see whether like like you call them the cop, like whether like the blue control player actually has a response and like if they don't then you use your thing you can kind of like get out of order when you're passing priority so it's kind of i don't know like i think that's maybe one where one of like the negative stereotypes about blue kind of like being like sticklers for the rules you know like i feel like there's kind of that stereotype where it's like they want everything to be done or, like they're very strict about the way In order, like, yeah 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 i think that's just because of like like you said it is it is a burden you know because then it's like you're you're losing some advantage just because, like, you like to play the blue deck, you know? Yeah, and we previously mentioned the player position thing. That also matters, right, when you're in a position where mm-hmm. you want to be playing counter spells to yeah. prevent your opponents from getting closer to winning. Um, if you, you if you use your counter spells on the person right after you, that means that the two, ter- the two turns following it, the two players following them, basically have free reign to do what they want. Which means it kind yeah, of becomes it becomes this. I think the most interactive game there. Once again, talk about mind games is you have to weigh as a blue player what your opponents are playing, and then figuring out and figure out which one is the greatest threat to you. Which may mean not necessarily counting something that represents a threat to you, because it you also see a threat from your other from your opponents and also the threat that it represents to them as well. Right? Yeah, I mean we're we're getting into like levels and levels of like the mind games you know that they know that you know that they know that you know you know it's like all this stuff about like <laughs> evaluating who's the threat <laughs> it just loops on her and then the yeah. person person to your right's like why didn't you counter that you're screwed <laughs> and it's just like yeah i i see my hand i know what i'm doing i think <laughs> yeah i mean like so, sometimes you do get into those situations where you're forced to make a choice of like should you actually like count and it's like should you actually counter it and it's kind of, like, impossible to actually know, like, what the right answer is to that question. Because it's, like, you don't... Maybe you have, like, some, like, percentage, like, evaluation of whether the other players have, like, some big threat. But, like, you never know for sure. You know, yeah, like, unless exactly. you're, you're seeing their hand, you never know for sure. Yeah, which is why telepathy is a great card. <laughs> well, <laughs> <Sweet> telepathy. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, which means, I guess, if you really, if you are trying to play some sort of control... And, pretty heavy quotation marks game Mm -hmm. right you want to navigate yourself to a position where that sort of choice is is less impactful when you have the resources to do do to interact with all three of your opponents turn right like we have written down here like control decks are big mana decks you want because you are trying to play a game where you're controlling three other players you have to Mm -hmm. also have the mana to match that right yeah i mean just like just look at uh like your average control deck list in like in any format really like limited 60 card 100 card like the reason they're playing like like all like a huge number of lands isn't just because like they like the land you know it's like it's because they want to make their land drop every turn so that they're able to keep up with everybody and then eventually like once they establish their value engines and once they like kind of get everything set up like get their mana under them then they're able to like actually control the whole table instead of falling behind yeah exactly and I think, to some degree, this can be this can lead to a lot of mono-blue decks sort of having to play the same cards if they want to play that game plan right, because yeah. your ramp options are very limited when you're just mm-hmm. playing blue. Um, 
excluding kind of outliers like a dreams dreamscape artist and all that stuff like your your spell shapers it's a spell shaper i think it's from future sight oh it's the harrow card it's the harrow on a stick harrow on a stick um but beyond that like you i think most time blue decks resort to using artifact ramp right yeah and i mean that that kind of ties in like blue usually i mean this this episode we're mainly talking about mono blue um yeah, mono blue like usually has kind of like these artifact synergies kind of baked in, so you can kind of like you can kind of play some maybe junkier mana rocks that not every deck would play, but you're kind of paid off by those artifact synergies. Yeah, exactly, and I think it can lead to a lot in the similar way with red, right? It can lead to a lot of blue decks almost looking like they're tr- trying to do some sort of artifact synergy or mm-hmm. incentivize playing artifact sy- synergies or stuff like War of Invention. But in a lot of ways, it just is the fact that blue decks have to achieve this level of, of mana acceleration to play their game plan. And it's funny, right? Because we are talking, we're trying to talk mostly about mono blue. And I remember last week talking talking about it when we were, when I forgot to record, we ended up talking about a lot of synergies with other colors. Yeah. Just because I think the, the reality is blue is a color that it does what it does very well. And having that be complemented by other colors, especially green. I mean, Simic mm-hmm. in and of itself, I mean, in a way, I think is kind of both a boogeyman and this kind of center, centerpiece to the format of EDH as a whole, just because the, the mana acceleration of green with the card draw mm-hmm. and interaction of blue is just this, forms this absolutely killer combo. Yeah, blue, in, in general, like a good way to put this is that blue is a color that performs well when it's being supported. It works well when it, when it has a friend along the way to kind of plug up the gaps of, like, the stuff that doesn't do too well. You know, like, whether that's green to get more ramp or, like, white for more board wipes, black for, like, I don't know, like, you can actually kill a creature. Instead a kill of just creature. Yeah, and, obviously, like, card, <laughs> I mean, not behind card draw, like, more tutors, access to more tutors. If you're someone yeah, who the plays tutors, tutors black has the best. And I do think, to some degree, the creatures that black has tend to be better for EDH than blue, yeah. right? Yeah, blue, the blue creatures, they're either, like, kind of wimpy little guys that just die to anything, or they're, like, huge, dumb sea creatures that, like, give everything island walk or, like, tap down a bunch of stuff, yeah. Lorthos the Tidemaker, what a card. (laughs) I love my big deceased octopus boy. (laughs) That was, like, uh, is that guy legendary? Yeah, he's legendary. Yeah. He was one of the first mythics I ever opened in a pack. Might have to get to work on a Lorthos deck, dude. Uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the way I play the game has changed a considerable amount. <laughs> when I first when I first opened that card, I was like, "Wow, he taps down their stuff forever." It says it yeah. doesn't untap for the next untap steps, and steps is plural, which obviously means every untap <laughs> step they have from now on, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was a bit I of mean, a kick, look, a kick in the pants when I found out it didn't work that way. It's got five instances of the number eight on the card. And I mean, like, eight? That's a pretty big number. That's you know? my birthday, August 8th. It was meant to oh. be. It was meant to be. Yeah, you need to make this deck. Numerology is definitely pushing me in this direction. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm kidding. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you uh, you brought up Simic a second ago as, like, being the maybe the strongest pairing for blue just because, like, you ramp really well and then you have the best ways to convert that ramp into more advantage with the card draw. I think like if you're if you're someone listening to this and you're looking to maybe like make a blue deck for the first time or like I don't know like try to play a control deck when usually you're more like an aggro 
kind of player. Um, maybe don't go for Lorthos. Maybe go for like, again, I mean, like it's kind of boring, but like a Simic commander or like a bug or rug, like any any of these pairings, I think really complement blue well and kind of, um, yeah, they just like, they push it up into the top tier of a uh, of EDH, right? Yeah, and I think there are a significant number of mono blue commanders as well that are quite that's true are quite strong i mean if you're we've if you're, gotten a few yeah i mean i play neza hall as the at the helm of my um <laughs> mono blue turbo through deck and it yeah. does everything a blue card wants to do it can't be really interacted with because it has self-protection and it can't be countered i mean i think mm-hmm. i think the way i heard you refer to it is that it's a big dumb finisher beat stick from standard right it's like yeah. every every standard set you got your big sea monster that protects itself that can't be countered and that hits that it's like a three turn clock right yeah like pearl lake ancient you know neza hall was one of them chromium a few standards ago yeah. aetherling way back when that was like the, oh boy that was the card to beat right during during the first, uh, second round yeah set. superman superman <laughs> and trying to leverage these advantages of blue right i mean it naturally is a color that the longer the game goes on, the more likely it is to pull ahead of every other deck at the table, right? You have the best card draw, mm-hmm. um, which both scales with your mana and just scales with the quality of your cards super well. Like, the the more cards that you have that do something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> means that, yeah. the more than you have, the better it is. I mean, that's, like, that's, a, that's a kind of dumb way to put it, but... Yeah, draw a card, do thing with card. That's that's what I think. That's what I think when I think think of blue. Yeah, I mean, uh, most most blue decks do want the game to go pretty long just because they want to be able to to draw a bunch of cards and then use a bunch of cards. And I mean, like that's that's why, like you mentioned, like why Simic is like this pillar of commanders, just because like the, just like having forty life, having three opponents, the games go long. So just like it's kind of a, a feature of the format that. If you're trying to play a control controlling style deck and you you know you, you built your deck correctly, you have the mana and you like have an appropriate amount of card draw. Um, as the game goes along, you're just going to keep keep snowballing in a way. Just keep building and building that advantage. Yeah, exactly. And you know, blue has the tools to make the game go along. It has it. Well, it doesn't have the yeah. sort of white destroy all creatures board wipes. It has some very cheap four mana instant speed board wipes, um, and the best board wipe in the game as well. Which, yeah, I guess now we're going to talk about it, right cyclonic rift. I mean, it has to be it has to be talked about in any discussion. It does. It's easily. I mean, I think it's one of the. It's the most polarizing card. I would guess if I had to guess in the format. I think everyone knows it across basically every level of play. Right. I don't think there's anyone who's played a significant number of games of EDH and hasn't had at least one cyclonic rift resolved against them or not resolved them themselves. Um. What makes well, this I mean, card so good? What makes this card so good, Daniel? Tell us. <laughs> well, oh boy. What makes Cyclonograph so good? It's like, just look at the card, right? I mean, so there's a there's a few things going on. One is that, like, instant speed is just so much better than sorcery speed. You know, like, when you when you have instant speed in a, in a four-player format, you're just, you're able to, to hold up all this mana for other interaction or, like, like just imagine you're you're sitting with your blue deck and in your hand you have like a copy of Day Through Time and a copy of Cyclonic Rift. There, like in that scenario, I would just feel completely safe because it's like, well, if they don't do anything 
if the board state doesn't get so out of control that I don't need to rift, I can just dig through time and get more stuff. But then it's like, if they do, then I like, I have this option to rift just because it's instant speed. The other thing, it's not symmetrical, right? <laughs> it says return each non-land permanent you don't control when you overload it. So it's like, it, it's just like, it's just gravy. You know, like there's, there's not really like a downside to it besides that it costs six, seven mana, which in commander is like whatever. You're always going to get to seven mana usually. Yeah, if you're playing this big mana strategy, right, you should be at seven mana ASAP. You should have the option yeah. to do it as quickly as possible. Um, I mean, I've, uh, I've like, a lot of the times in, like, blue-green control decks, if I, like, have a rift in my hand or, or a way to get a rift into my hand, I'll, like, I'll mystical tutor for, like, Kodama's reach or something, just so that I'm, like, hitting land drops and, like, getting there so that I know I'm going to be able to cast this rift on time. Yeah, it's, it's, and once again, right, most of blue's tutors can find rift. Oh, yeah, that's it's, the other thing. It's a card that's so easily accessible to the point where each tutor you're running in your deck is either a card you need for your win con, right? Or it's a card mm. that gets Rift. Extra, yeah, extra my, copies of Rift, right? I mean, one of my one of my favorite play patterns with blue-black control is with Mystical Teachings. So Mystical Teachings, it's uh, four mana, and you get to search for an, a blue instant card, and then you can flash it back uh, for six mana. So what, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll, I'll teachings on four mana and I'll get a five mana board wipe like evacuation just to bounce all creatures. And then on the turn when they're replaying everything, I'll flash back teachings for six mana and go grab Psychonic Rift. So then on seven mana, I bounce it all over again. And it's just like with this, with this one card, with one like mystical teachings, one, one tutor, you've bought like four turns of just like being able to make land drops and set up your engine. Exactly, right? And with the cheaper, like, Spellseeker thing, because oh, yeah. of the overload text on Psych Rift, even mm-hmm. though it says Sorcery CMT 2 OS, the non-overloaded version only costs 2 mana. So it's this very, yep. ch- it's this very cheap card that yep. you can basically get get for free. It's, it's I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> even just talking about it, I get, I get heated. I, like, I, I get flashbacks to all the times I've been like, man, I love my board state so much. <laughs> and it does. Once again, we're talking about this mental game that Blue plays. Psych Rift is a card that, in many ways, def- both defines and is a huge part of the mental game in Blue. Yeah. Everyone expects a Psych Rift at 7 mana, right? Everyone does. Yeah, that's kind of like, as a, as it's gained notoriety, um, well, I guess it's always been notorious, but I feel like back when I started playing, it maybe wasn't like such a big deal, just because like, online discourse wasn't whatever. But... Like nowadays, if you pass with like seven mana, it's it's everyone's just like, oh, okay, we get it, guy, you know. And they're they're kind of trying to play around it, but like the secret to Psychrift is that like it's kind of impossible or at least very difficult to play around. So it doesn't end up working out anyway. You just have to force it. I mean, that's my exactly. that's my advice for someone playing against someone who loves Psychrift a bunch. <laughs> yeah. you just have to force or, it. Or if you're playing blue, you can actually force it. You know, you can pitch a card to force a will and counter it. <laughs> yeah, also. <laughs> or force a negation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, that that's actually, I enjoy playing against more than one blue deck at the table. Because mm, having, okay. two, having two decks vying for this sort of con- this controlling position, I think oftentimes leads to them sort of burning resources on each other. Yeah. Which may not bring you to the level of, like, that value that they're generating, but it tempers what they're doing down a bit. 
so you can kind of, if not catch up, play at a level that's not constantly falling behind the level value that they are generating, you know? Yeah, you can kind of, you can kind of fly under the radar for a little bit, maybe like, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's very easy for control players to kind of laser focus in on the other blue player, just because then it's like, ooh, it's a battle of wits, and I'm going to come out on top. But like, sometimes, like you have to pick your battles, I guess, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, that's another thing. Multiple blue decks also leads, once again, turn order becomes a big factor, right? Exactly. Because if, the, if you are the person going after the other blue player, mm-hmm. it's actually much better for you if you're right after them, because that way they're at the end of the turn cycle before you, so you always mm-hmm. get the final say in what they play on their turn. But you are in... That's why that um, Barracuda card that they printed in Commander recently, that gives oh, yeah. everybody's cards flash, but no one can play spells during your turn. Yeah. That card is incredibly strong. I'm actually shocked I haven't seen it more often. I think it's just a very unique effect. Is it like, is it Tidal Barracuda? Tidal Barracuda, yeah, yeah. And it's only four mana. It's not as particularly cheap or particularly expensive creature. But I think the the fact that it is a Vidalcan Ori effect, even if it's for everyone, mm-hmm. but it also shuts down. I think the, the second line of text where people can't play spells on your turn, I think that's seriously undervalued, even for a blue player. Yeah, it, it helps a lot in, like, a more assertive blue deck. Like, I'm, I'm imagining, like, a blue deck that's more in on, like, a combo or something like that is, like, in a deck that's really going to make use of that second line of text. Like, that's when Tidal Barracuda really shines. But, yeah, I feel like it's it's just such a unique effect. I, it, I'm surprised it hasn't caught on as well. And I guess, I mean, there, has, there was this period of time, like, over the past couple of years, I mean, looking at the prices of, like, Vidalcan Ori and Leyline of Anticipation... Oh boy. Where those sorts of flash effects were getting really valued in Commander. I know that a bunch mm. of a bunch of content creators in the Commander community really were push <laughs> were pushing for Dalkinori. Yeah. Like this card is amazing. Playing with stuff with Flash is really strong. And to be fair, everyone who's played Blue knows that having Flash on a lot of your cards is extremely strong. Right? So doing that in every color is is this seen as this great thing of value. But I think to some degree it may have almost been over the importance of it had been overstated a little bit, right? As opposed to the opposite, where if you can force non-interaction, that's always going to, especially if you're not playing blue, that's always going to benefit you more. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, do you do you still put, like, Vidalcan Ori in a lot of your non-blue deck, or, like, or any in any decks, really? Because I, I feel like I've taken, I think there might be one deck I have it in. But I, I feel like I, I used to play it a lot more and I was just taking it out. Yeah, I mean, I only ever had one copy of it. And now that it's ridiculously expensive, like, there's no chance I'm going to have more. I run it in my blue deck, which is kind of funny, but I want, to be, I want to be playing, like, Mana Rocks on my opponent's turn and stuff like that. I want to be building up my board state, um, even though yeah, I already I mean, have a flash. And the more we talk about this, actually, the more I think about the deck itself. And I think that it's a level of redundancy that might not be necessary, well, yeah, that's kind of the thing with Fidelkin Ori. It's like, if if Fidelkin Ori is so good in your deck that it warrants a slot, then you should probably not be playing it, which is kind of weird. If your deck is so much better when you get to play things at Flash that you need to play Fidelkin Ori, you should probably just be playing cards that are instants. Yeah. <laughs> cards that already, like, you, you should probably just be building your deck differently rather than relying on, like, this Fidelkin Ori. It's kind of like... 
And it's a weird paradox, I guess. Which I suppose may speak to the reason a lot of people don't play title Barracuda or, you know, Leyline of Anticipation. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. blue does have access to incredibly strong instant speed interactions that do what you might normally do on a sorcery, right? I mean, yeah. you mentioned Dig Through Time. There's the whole <laughs> suite of three or two mana and X draw spells that basically just, like, turn all your mana into cards, right? Yeah. And... There's they have instant speed removal at extreme at an extremely steep uh, cheap premium, and if you're doing like an artifact card synergy or something like that where you want to be playing artifacts with flash, you have cheaper Vidalcan Orlier effects, like Shimmer Mirror. Yeah, you have like Shimmer Mirror, yeah. So I mean, it, I feel like there there is probably a slot in the format for Tidal Barracuda. I'm just, hmm. I might, I might actually be interested in to figure out like what kind of deck this actually fits in. I mean, that's the thing. It feels like an effect that's generically good to me. That's, the, I think, the point I'm trying to make, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, having the option... I mean, in a way, it can also make the game more interesting because if everyone else is playing stuff at instant speed, it may lead to people playing cards more at the same time, you know? Oh, yeah, like, they all play it, like, immediately before or immediately after your turn. Yeah. kind of, like, compress the turn cycle into just, like, <laughs> your end step or upkeep. You're, like... On those ends. And it is a lopsided effect in that the person to your left actually, it's way worse for them. Because they can't play, yeah. they can't play during your turn, so they're forced to play if they wanted to play your stuff at that sort of instant speed nature on the person who's turned before you, which gives you a whole turn cycle to remove or deal with what they played. Whereas everyone else doesn't have to deal with that effect. And now I just want to play this card. I mean, that yeah. Sounds pretty every, time, every time I think of a blue card, it's like, wow, look at all these options. I mean, okay, so about we kind of we kind of got sidetracked, but yeah. about cyclonic rift. It was a good sidetrack. I guess I, I just yeah, it, it was a good sidetrack. I'm actually like my brain is trying trying to turn through what kind of deck I would put title barracuda in, but um, I feel like the way I want to cap off this discussion about rift is: Do you think it should be banned? Because last time when we were talking about this, I said that I thought um, cyclonic rift in the vast majority of EDH games is the single most powerful card that costs colored mana. Does that mean it's bannable? I mean, yeah, and the, 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 <laughs> the, the, constant, the constant struggle in EDH, right, is quantifying power level both for decks and for cards themselves. Yeah. And it's funny because when we talk about this, I brought up Soul Ring as a card, right, that's incredibly powerful, Obviously, it doesn't cost colored mana. And when you think of games where Rift is played, mm-hmm. there's basically no scenario, unless it's not being played for its overload cost, where it does not represent one of the biggest swings in that game. Yeah, like, the worst-case scenario is that it just kind of, like, buys you time. You know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't win you the game, but, like, if there's a game that you were, like, kind of out of, it, like, gets you back into it. Like, that's the worst-case scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's a card that in one with one card you can flip from maybe being behind on board state to being the only person with a board state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I think it's not... I think actually with recent cards being printed, it's actually become a lot less powerful. Uh, okay. The elemental okay. from Zendikar, Ashaya, that turns all of your yeah. non-token creatures into lands. I mean, I think that's an auto-include in any deck playing green at this point. That's, that's playing green and creatures yeah. because it completely counters Psychrift. It, it basically the card Ashaya. Ashaya Soul of the Wild, I think. Yeah, Soul of the Wild. I think yeah, that was on a recent uh, command. It was on the last. I actually just finished watching that episode 
yeah. right today, which is why I'm thinking about it, because it does actually, <laughs> to some degree, hose a cyclonic rift in the game, yeah. which is when I saw that card, the first thing I thought of is, wow, finally, Green has an answer to cyclonic rift. Yeah. So so you, you think those answers are actually like getting to a power level where it's kind of like maybe pushing Psychrift down? I mean, and I think the fact that the format has changed to be so stupid amounts of ramp centric means that the, mm. the general impact of Psychrift, while it's still very good, it for for people who are actually playing large amounts of mana ramp, um at or land ramp, right? Yeah. The impact of it is a lot lower. So I think it's worse against decks that... I think it's still good, even I'd say in CEDH, just due to the number of rocks people are playing. But then again, a lot of the rocks played in CEDH are very cheap or, or free, yeah. right? So it doesn't, that yeah, doesn't yeah. do, like, anything there. Um, but if you're, play, if, it, if you're playing against three artifact decks, then yeah. it's sweet. But so the, the bottom line of it is it's still good, and the top line of it is it's very good. So, but I don't think that in the past the rules committee has really banned cards because they're super good, right? I think. Yeah, it, it's kind of silly to talk about like banning a card just for power level in a format where like Soul Ring is seen in like every EDH deck. Like, Soul Ring is one of, if not the like most powerful card in Magic the Gathering, and it's not banned. You know, like, so we're going to ban the seven drop blue spell. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the question you have to think of when you think of should, will or, will a card, not should, but I mean, not even should, but yeah. will, will a card be banned mm-hmm. is, does it encourage what the rules committee sees as an unfun play pattern? Mm-hmm. That's basically consistently what they banned. Like the most recent Paradox Engine banning, that was done because they, they thought it made turns to, to take too long, which I saw yeah. as a challenge, and I was like, all right, every deck I build from now on is going to have 10-minute turns just because just, just you can't ban everything. <laughs> but yeah, and then, and cards like World Fire, Sway of the Stars, right, that take the board state and kind of reset it even after what might have been a long game mm-hmm. and are often... Upheaval. Com- yeah, upheaval, stuff like that. All these cards being banned are banned because they have, I think, pretty similar behavior. Um... The flash unbanning thing was interesting to me because like they unbanned Protean Hulk, they banned Flash because it was too strong yeah. with Protean Protean Hulk. Whereas when you think mechanically, Flash is a much more interesting card than Protean Hulk, right? Like it does, at yeah. least in my opinion, it does more interesting things. Is it busted? I would yes, <laughs> but compared to Protean Hulk, which is just sacrifice it tutor for a win con, I would argue like. That that shows to me that what they're trying to ban is the cheapest way, at least in that in that example, the cheapest way to do it. But when you compare it to Psychrift, yeah. which is you know a seven mana board wipe, I mean a seven mana board wipe is a seven mana board wipe. Like, is that worth banning? I mean, personally, I don't think so. Plus. Yeah, I mean, almost my biases haven't been clear. Like, I don't think it should be banned either. But I, it just it feels like it always comes up whenever you start talking about blue and like Psychonic Rift specifically. It's just like, people compare it to Upheaval, you know, like, it's not as strong as Upheaval, that's for sure, but it is, like, it is a very powerful card, and, like, um, I don't know, like, the, the EDH ban list is kind of a mess, right? Because there's, there's all these, there's all these cards that are, like, really good payoffs, like, uh, like, Primeval Titan, there's Flash, which is, like, a really strong enabler, but then there's, like, 
Primeval Titan, Sylvan Primordial, like these cards that are just like really good payoffs. You know, so it's, I don't know, it's kind of jumbled. I don't really know, like, I don't really know, like, how Cyclonic Rift fits into that. But, I mean, I'm just kind of pointing out that it is kind of hard to figure out what exactly the Commander um, Rules Committee is, uh, is looking at when they're deciding whether a card's bannable. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, obviously, you play, have, anyone who's played Vintage Cube knows that Primetime, or Modern for that matter, knows that Primetime is an incredibly powerful card. And I, yeah. I believe the justification given by the Rules Committee when Primetime and Sylvan Primordial, I think more recently, were banned, was mm-hmm. that they basically revolved, they turned games into games where the games revolved around having the most copies of said card, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. whoever has the most Sylvan Primordial is, is going to win. Yeah, whoever clones it and then, like, makes another clone of it, yeah. But I think, to some degree the format has progressed to a point where similar to how Cyclonic Rift is weaker just because of the value that you get from cards, I think to some degree, prime time at least, prime, I'm not sure about Sylvan Primordial just because I know people really dislike land destruction mm-hmm. as a general strategy. I think yeah, prime sure. time in general, it's a strong card that you could build a strategy around, but compared to some of the things you can do in land decks these days, I'm not sure it's strong enough to be worth being banned, and maybe we should we should get it we should get more into that into the green episode. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're kind of giving a sneak preview here. Yeah, <laughs> but once again, I mean, it, when you when you're talking about sort of value, right? I mean, the, the urge to move into the green blue the green blue hemisphere is so overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like just imagine a green blue deck that has like Titan and has Cyclonic Rift and all these tutors and land. All right, I've changed. Yeah. I've changed my mind. Cyclic so should be banned. <laughs> Let's just ban green and blue. All right, that's that's my final position. On I this. mean, some of like some of the favorite like EDH games I played were were uh, were pods where like people were, were playing mainly Mardu decks. Like either like someone's playing a Boros deck, someone's playing like a Rakdos deck. Maybe there was one guy like playing Jeskai or something. But I don't know. Like the the games without green and blue, it's so much different. It's so much. I don't know. It, I, I like it, but yeah, I, I, I yeah, no, I definitely, I, I agree. Those those games do because they it does change the the overall nature of the game to have that sort of almost boogeyman missing from it, right? Mm-hmm. To know that there's no one who's not necessarily going to be able to have ten mana on turn four and just yeah. start slamming down their creatures that draw cards and do m- more than anything that you're playing at. Yeah. <sighs> Oh man! Oh, oh, <laughs> and I mean, you know what? You know what pairs really well with the Cyclonic Rift and Eternal Witness getting back Cyclonic Rift. <laughs> well, yes, Evacuation Archaeomancer is a classic, right? I mean, that's maybe that's Swinder Twin right there. That's a combo. <laughs> that's overwhelming synergy. You know what? You know what the actual combo is Simon. No, please. All right, so you have fourteen lands, right? Okay. <laughs> And then you cast Evacuation, returning your Eternal Witness and your Archaeomancer. Then you play them both back. With one of them, you get back your Evacuation. With the other one, you get back Turnabout. Huh? Huh? Oh my. Then you just keep recycling everything, and then boom, bing, bang, boom. You got infinite mana, baby. Wow. That is... <laughs> that sure is something. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what it a, is, but it definitely is. That's that strong late game coming through. <laughs> strong late. Okay, yeah. So Rift Strong, play it. Play not it. bannable. <laughs> I would agree with your playgroup to not play it if you really all dislike it. 
Do we want to talk more about why Blue is disliked? You got this thing written down the first person to grab the napkin. Do you want to talk about that and how that relates to Blue? <laughs> um, so in the popular anime slash manga JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Classic. Uh, in part seven, the the uh, one of the characters has a little speech where he talks about uh, dinner etiquette and how the person who takes a napkin from the, either the left or the right determines which which side everyone else at the table will take their napkin from. Yeah, which, so it's like the first guy to make the move dictates the rest of the etiquette. Well, yeah, exactly. And his what he wants to do is he wants to he wants to always grab the napkin. He wants all the napkins, right? Which I think mm. is a great way to sum up both what people try and do a lot of the time when they play blue. Uh-huh. And why people don't necessarily like playing against Blue. It feels bad to have your four mana mythic countered, you know? It's like... No, my Ashaya. No! <laughs> it, it feels bad to... The, the permission game that people are always talk about, this, this, this idea of, like, having to ask the Blue player every time you cast yeah. a spell whether or not resolve or the blue player asking you every time you cast a spell whether or not you want to pay one for heuristic study mm, classic it yeah. is this sort of vibe that i think especially us freedom-loving americans <laughs> really, really really don't necessarily don't necessarily jam with it's like this is unconstitutional you're you know you're, <laughs> you know i actually started taking out heuristic study from my blue text <laughs> Just because a lot of the times it just turned into, like, three mana, I take, like, 25 damage. <laughs> just because, like, people get so annoyed at Rhystic Study that they just sweet you with everything, no matter what's going on on the board. Well, yeah, Rhystic Study, if you, if, it's it's a lot worse when people are playing creatures early that they're just going to swing at you and not play anything because you aren't drawing yeah. any cards off of it, right? I mean, yeah. there is a way to play around it, but the second someone starts not playing for Rhystic Study, um, it's go time. Yeah, it's go time, baby. It's go time. I mean, do you... Okay, so first person to grab the napkin, that's, like, the the person, like, dictating, like, the what the flow, rest of the game the looks like. The flow of the game. Else. It is what people think of when they think of a control of control, right? Do you, do you think that's actually possible in EDH, though? I f- like, I feel like when I first started trying to play control, you know, like, I, I had a friend that was also, like, really into blue. Like, we both built these decks that were just, like, all right, I'm going to play every cancel variant. I'm going to play Counterspell, Arcane Denial... I'm going to play Pact and Negation. No one's going to ever resolve anything. And it's just like, it never worked out because like people can play more than one spell a turn. And then you're like, I don't, do, you, do you think it's actually possible to grab every napkin? I think there are several categories. Um, if, we, if we look at the tapless system, that actually pretty well <laughs> define how a blue player would have to, or how you'd have to play a control game, right? The quality okay. of your mana ramp has to be high. The yeah. quality of your interaction has to be high, even just beyond counter spells, right? Like playing four or five mana counter spells, I think I every deck where I blue deck I built where I've put a four or five mana counter spell in, I've always cut that card before actually building the deck. Interesting. I think of turns where I want to spend five mana on a counter spell and it's almost never like if something needs to be countered, that's what you save your counter spells for. The rest of your interaction should be board wipes that deal with it, uh, remove just like flat out removal that deals with it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of options. I mean, you have you have imprisoned in the moon for Christ's sake. You can deal. Yeah. With, you can deal with. You can. You have. You have tools to deal with every type of permanent. You have cards that get the tools that deal with every type of permanent. In a way, controlling the flow doesn't mean necessarily damning off the whole game and stopping okay. everyone from getting stuff through. It means choosing what gets through. I mean, we mentioned this earlier, right? It's choosing what threats you allow to resolve and what th- knowing what threats you can deal with if they do resolve. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And yeah. blue does everything well. I mean, when you when you think, I mean, I think an important part of it that's not in that trio of things is is the card draw. Blue has access to incredible card draw, and you really have to think when you're building a deck. I mean, how do I draw a balance between cheap card draw that's going to get me the cards I want? You know, your mm-hmm. different types of cantrips, and much more expensive card draw like dig through time. Um, the X X mana sinks. Yeah, blue sun zenith. Blue sun yeah. zenith. Yeah, exactly. And like enchantments and artifacts that actually make you draw more cards in general, right? And there are, I yeah. think, I think there are some traps in that category that you can fall into when you're when you're looking at. I think, like what people play in blue, right? Sh- yeah, I think I mean, shoving your deck full of cantrips isn't necessarily the right plan. Yeah. um... You're right. I think I think blue does kind of teach you like there there are some scenarios where you need a swan song, and there are other scenarios where you need a mystic confluence, and you need to kind of like you need to figure out like when, in in your meta how many of which of those answers you need, you know. And this even yeah, like you said, it even goes down to card draw. Like, um, I guess here I'm going to talk about my brainstorm rant, but you, you do kind of have to to pick and choose like which. Which like one mana cantrips like purity and ponder, you want to play versus like factor fiction. It's kind of a, a like a middle of the road four mana. It's kind of middle of the road, and then like whether you even want to play something like Blue Sun Zenith or uh, like Sphinx's Rev. But yeah, I want to talk about brainstorm real quick, um, just because I feel like people when they're trying to strike that balance, they maybe put in brainstorm thinking it's going to be a really high quality low cmc spell that's going to get them out of a lot of situations and in edh i just i don't think that's really the case um so like brainstorm has a pretty big reputation from legacy and it's even like restricted in vintage it's so powerful um but i think it's really powerful in those formats because of like all the fetch land effects and like even just like think about like rug delver in legacy you're playing like 12 fetch lands that's uh, 20% of your deck is dedicated to shuffling away stuff like brainstorms, like you know, brainer there, and you also have ponder. So, but in EDH, you have like you maybe have land tutors, and you maybe even if you have a full set of fetches, that's like that's not, I don't think that's nearly enough shuffle effect. I think in most scenarios, you should just be playing opt because, like, a lot of the times, like the worst case scenario on brainstorm is just that it's like one mana cycle, like you don't really change anything, and like the, the ceiling on it is really high, but I think it's really hard to get to the ceiling of the power level of Brainstorm in EDH. Yeah, and the nature of, like, a 100-card format, right, is that when... Especially, and also a singleton format, right? Oh, yeah. When yeah. you're not running multiple copies of a card and you're seeing a much smaller percentage of your deck with that card and then you have to put two cards on the back, the bottom line mm-hmm. of Brainstorm, right, is, is a lot lower than decks that actually can capitalize on the power of its effect. I mean, I, I have a very, I have a very vivid memory of us when we were playing in college, 
pointing against somebody. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going <laughs> to name names. But he went, turn one island brainstorm. And I think I blacked out. And I was like, <laughs> there, what, what are you doing? <laughs> just like, what? No, it's just like, it's such an awful, I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, right, you're basically can tripping and you know your next two draws. It's not you're, like... You're just, you're just cycling a card. It's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, okay. Brainstorm is really powerful when you get to use it as like a mulligan, right? Like when it's it's late in the game, you got two lands in your hand and you can put them back and shuffle them away. It's like you've mulliganed it in a certain sense. You've completely reshaped your hand. It's not good in the most... In most scenarios in EH, because you can't do that. There's just, like, not enough shuffle effects. So it's, you'd say it's more similar to, like, Faithless Looting than the other kind of ponder, preordain of type effects. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah, I mean, before before Looting got banned in, in Modern, people were playing it in, like, a lot of these fair decks with, like, very light graveyard interaction, just because, like, that ability to just cycle away cards you don't need in the matchup or that, like, you don't need late in the game, it's, it's like, it's so powerful. I think looting is maybe, hmm, I don't know. I feel like people, maybe people under, uh, underestimate looting, but I feel like it's about, it's like, it is very similar to brain, Brainstorm. It might even be like around the same power level in EDH, or maybe even more powerful, just because it, it doesn't have any work involved. Yeah, and the amount of graveyard interaction in the format. I mean, yeah. and I know you personally love the two-mana Draw two, get rid of a card in your hand. Effects, chart of course. Uh, what is the other one? See the beyond. Latinum's legacy. Latinum's legacy. Um, and generally, like when I think of what card to draw, I put I'm gonna put in a blue deck. The only cantrips or like small card draw spells I do are ones that either are gonna let me see like three cards, and then mm-hmm. like ponder, preordain, stuff like that, or are gonna draw me multiple cards and have the upside of maybe not even have to discard one. Like, I would never play Sea of the Beyond. Charter Course, <laughs> I don't think I'd play that in any decks, but if I was playing an aggressive deck like Edric or something like that, or um, that Umazawa Commander, if I, if I were ever to play that Ooh, for some... Yeah. If I were uh, ever to play that for some reason... Eureka. Yeah. Yeah, Eureka. Oh, no, I was thinking of the... Um, the blue mana one for the blue the just blue one oh, from no, dominaria that, that one's awful <laughs> yeah but that might be the sort of deck right where you want to play out of course because you're attacking every turn or i mean that's also you know a yeah. case where you're playing I mean, there's also like you can do you can do graveyard shenanigans with uh charter course i guess but um like the, the reason I, I played like i feel like you do have to have a kind of specific deck for like the sea beyond or latin names legacy effects which is just like if you have these kinds of cards like these combo pieces that aren't really relevant at all in the early game and you like need a way to shuffle them away. It's, I don't know, then it's kind of good, but, um, yeah, you're right. You, you do kind of want to stay between like your really cheap cantrips that see a lot of cards and then like your giant payoffs that really like pull you ahead in late game. Yeah. I mean, we only, we're just going instance and sorceries here too, right? I mean, there are tons of like curiosity effects. You got your coastal piracies, mm-hmm. your Biden of Thalsas, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, any blue deck playing a creature-based strategy has all these options to draw a bunch of cards independent of actually having to cast a spell to do so, you know, after the yeah. initial investment. Um, and I think, I mean, we once again got sidetracked for why people don't like blue. Nah, but whatever. <laughs> it, I mean, in a way, you kind of have to understand, like, just the depth we're getting into of, like, what you can do with blue's access to card draw really shows, I mean... Drawing cards in Magic is 
if we're talking about most powerful things you can do, drawing cards in Magic, especially large amounts of them, is one of the most powerful things you can do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. more cards in your hand, the more options you have. Um, I mean, it's it's the same reason Mana Rip is powerful. Like, Magic's a game about resources. If you just have more resources to like exchange than your opponent, you're gonna you're gonna come out on top, or it's gonna be at least a lot easier for you to come out on yeah, top. Yeah, you're gonna have an advantage over the red player with five mana and three cards in their hand. <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my grudges are definitely are definitely poking through a little bit here. <laughs> Put more um, good impulse draw, please. I need it. You, you just got Jessica's will. I know. I know, and that card is actually... The, the price is going up a little bit. I'm wondering... I, I, I'm just like looking at Reddit threads about it. I really mm-hmm. think people are still underestimating how good that card is. Yeah, I still think it's a bit... It, what is it? Is it like six bucks right now? It's like four, I think. It might be up to six. I got to pick up a copy soon, which feels yeah. weird because I'm not going to be playing Paper Magic for a while. But that's a card where like I do not want to spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> oh, I've got MTG Goldfish has it at ten bucks, dude. Oh, no. <laughs> it's happening. I mean, I mean, we we mentioned this when we had our red episode. We like. I feel like we both kind of thought this is going to be one of the mo- more powerful cards from Commander Legends, even though it, it does maybe look a little bit innocuous. But oh well, yeah, I think there is there is some potential for like legacy playability there. Interesting. I mean, it's oh, a, like this. It's, it's a draw three. three. It's a, yeah, it's a draw three generate mana. That's yeah. like what you want to do. I mean, blue has also gotten a, a fair few number of uh, busted cards. That's from Commander true, Legends. right? I mean, fire design is. It's benefiting every color, I'd say, but unfortunately, blue was perhaps a color that didn't necessarily need to be benefited anymore. And yeah. it is still getting some absolutely insane cards. I mean, everyone knows Hole Bleacher, right? I mean, that card is... That card is... Oh, oh, God. I I haven't had it played against me yet. I guess Grand Legends just came out on MTGO. Um, yeah. I'm really starting to get worried about that card i like wheel decks a lot i like decks that play wheels um Mm -hmm. it's already bad enough having to play against um smothering tithe um the idea the idea of someone resolving a whole breacher against me really really makes me look at red elemental blast (laughs) quite a bit i mean yeah i mean the red elemental blast is not it's a card that people actually do play a fair bit just because blue is so prevalent and um I mean, if Hole Breacher's any indication, you're going to want to interact with blue spells a little bit more more often these days. I, I actually, I saw a uh, a screenshot on Twitter this morning of someone flashing in a Hole Breacher in response to an Ancestral Recall in Vintage. And I was like, yep, that's uh, that's where we're at today. It's, it's just free. It's like... Uh... It's just, yeah, it pays for itself. <laughs> free real estate, baby. I like how they looked at the design space of Leovold and were like, all right. We'll do that again, and then we'll do is perhaps a stronger version of that. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like blue blue has changed a lot in the past few years. Like they've just gotten like so many more tools. Like I remember back in the day, like the only like free counter spells you were worried about were like force of will, maybe pact negation. Like like maybe maybe someone would foil you, but like nowadays you got fierce guardianship, you got force of negation. You got like all these these just like new blue tools that are like 
either duplicate effects of cards that are really strong or they're like completely novel things like Hole Breacher that just puts like two very strong cards together. You know, like Hole Breacher is kind of like a Notion Thief plus Smothering Tithe smushed together and then you take out the black and the white. Um, yeah, just Blue's getting so many new tools, right? Yeah, and I mean, what worries me there, I mean, this is the this is one of the common, common I think, worries I've seen uh, espoused about um, fire design and like the increase in good cards being printed is cards that are viable both in EDH and total formats. I mean, you mentioned a bunch mm. of the free counter spells, right? I mean, force negation, yeah. very strong, very strong card. But the fact that it's played in other formats, it's played in modern, means the price point on it is much higher than I think the majority of players are willing to play. And yeah. it does inherently give an advantage to someone who's willing to put down the big bucks to play it in EDH. Even if it's not necessarily the most like innocuous, like "ha, I spent eighty dollars on this I win button," like uh, you know, um, <laughs> like the Thassa, the Thassa combo is in in uh, CEDH now, and even then, like cards printed just in Commander um, sets are still seeing their prices go incredible. Like Fierce Guardianship, like you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's was just printed in the Commander deck, and it's it's still I think probably the most expensive card in that set, right? Yeah, I, man, I like Fierce Guardianship really frustrates me. It's like, oh, I have to control my commander, which I already want to be doing when I'm playing the format commander. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh, okay, it just pays me off for doing what I want to do. But. And they did, they are still working in that design space. I mean, mm-hmm. Jessica's Will is an example of it, but the, there were multiple cards printed. There was a cycle of cards printed in Commander Legends where you get to choose both options if you control a commander, and especially when you have partner commanders, so you have twice as many commanders, which I don't know if that means you're twice as likely to have a commander on the board. I don't know how you'd statistically Ooh, quantify that, okay. but it's like cards that benefit from doing what you're probably doing in the game anyways basically means that the card, the, the, the text that reads do this if you have this basically mm-hmm. just reads do this, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe that that is kind of a safeguard to... Uh to these getting play in, um, in like other eternal formats, like maybe, I don't know how much legacy actually does influence price, but like, like maybe there's like a different design to Jessica's will that would, uh, would be like stronger in both EDH and legacy, but the way it's worded now, it's like, I don't know. You kind of have to, you kind of have to work with a little, a little bit if you're playing it outside of a, a commander deck. That is true. I actually completely forgot about the commander wording when I was talking about it being a legacy playable. I think that is good. Okay, now I'm just you. You basically one aided me in a second. <laughs> All right, it's like in, in a I've way the napkin. I think I I guess what I'd like to see them do is navigate commander design in a way that they can print those cards in a way that isn't going to necessarily result in them costing forty dollars every time they do it. Right. Yeah. And perhaps printing it in a supplemental set and not a pre-con is a good way to do that. I mean, I'm, be- I'm guessing the print run in Commander Legends is going to be absolutely massive. I mean, you look at the price. You look at the price of Jeweled Lotus. I mean, speculators are are clutching their he- clutching their heads and crying right now. It, yeah, it, it plummeted. <laughs> like, please, if I can just do not buy a Jeweled Lotus right now. Like, when are you going to use this? Just just wait. The, the price is going to come down, I promise. If it doesn't come down, you can yell at me, but please, just don't buy a jewel. Send, them, send an an angry, angry messages on Twitter and tag me. I'd like to see them. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if it if it ends up being a thousand dollars in a year, what you can whatever you can get mad at me, but I doubt it's it's going to be uh, yeah. like worth a hundred and fifty bucks like it is right now, or was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. As always, that what happens when we talk about fire is we get into this morose, this morose vibe about <laughs> the places of cards and direction of printing. Let's talk about some of our favorite cards in blue. Some of just like the cool stuff, our favorite effects and the powerful things blue does. What if you had to pick one card? What's your what's your number one? What's your number one in blue? Ooh, my number one favorite blue card. Ooh, man. That's, I mean, the the card that I love to resolve the most is probably Factor Fiction. Because, like, there, there's a lot of sweet blue cards, like, uh, like, Venser, Shaper Savant, I really like. Even, like, I thought about this this morning, Totally Lost is, like, a <laughs> card I really liked. I, I don't like to play it in, like, constructed formats, but whenever it's in limited, I just really love playing Totally Lost. Um, <laughs> but Factor Fiction is just, like, it's sweet. You're always getting three cards. You know, it's card draw. Okay. But you also introduce like this fun little political game with your opponents. You kind of get to like to skill test them a little bit. You know, like the rest of the table kind of gives input on like which piles they think should go this way. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's it's kind of like that whole poker game we were talking about at the start of this episode kind of rolled into just one card. I don't know. I, I just, I love Factor Fiction. Yeah. I mean, this is really something that online lacks to a degree every time fact fiction was played in our uh, personal like our <laughs> in-person play group i mean it was always a great time like who you picked was hilarious the discussions about what cards were good was great i mean it, it, was, a, it yeah. was a card that brings everybody into the game even though they may not necessarily be supposed to or the person picking may not necessarily want people it brings everyone in it, it, it is a social card in and of itself which i think is something that is really special even in the yeah there's just there's so much choice wrapped into one. It's like, who do you choose to split? You know, and then like, how do they choose to split? There's like so many options of how to actually make the piles. And then it's like, which pile do you take? It's just so, so many dimensions. So many dimensions. Yeah. Mm. See, my, my favorite card in blue is kind of the opposite. <laughs> mental, okay. mental misstep. I've, I've realized <laughs> that mental misstepping soaring is 100% my favorite play in all of Magic the Gathering. So we, we went from, like, one of the most, like, one of the, like, the card draw spell with the most branching decision trees to one of the narrowest answers in all of blue. The narrowest, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it seems narrow at first glance, right? But it is yeah, quite yeah. versatile. There are an incredible range of really ridiculously powerful one-mana spells in the game, right? Of which Soul Ranger is just one. Actually, I just thought of an interaction... Yeah, I'm not sure how it works. What is the CMC of an overleaded spell on the stack? Uh, it's 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 a uh, top right mana cost. It is okay. Yeah. So you can mental misstep Vandal Blast. That's overloaded. That's sweet. All right. Yeah. I'll hit some all the two all the one mana tutors. Right. It does. Yeah. It's soul ring hits. You know, elixir of immortality. If you're playing a mill deck. <laughs> oh, I actually, I have another card that hoses one mana tutors, but. Okay, yeah, keep talking about... Yeah, uh, Elixir of Mortality. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what this is. You know, Elixir of Mortalities gets, your, gets the enemy's graveyard hate. Um, if they're playing Isamaru, Hound of Conda, I mean, forget about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, I feel like if your opponent shows up to the table with Isamaru, you've already won. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you if you missed up someone's Isamaru, like we need to have a talk. Like that's <laughs> Bro, turn one Isamaru, turn two honor of the pure. You got nothing. You got yeah, nothing. That's three damage, dude. That's a seven turn clock on turn two. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. Okay. What's the what's the weirdest thing you missed up? Because I I know you've missed up a lot of soul rings. I think yeah, I, I, I keep a tally. Like, I keep a physical tally on the card <laughs> with Sharpie. Yeah. Um Oh What's the body count up to on soul rings now? Oh man, let me go check. I'll check out this episode. I think it's somewhere like six or seven at this point. It's a, it's a hefty number. It's a hefty number. That's not inconsiderable number of games where, and I, there, there are some games where it's just flat out took the person out of the game. You know, it's like yeah. they keep a two lander and a soul ring, and they have a turn two play with the soul ring, and then they have nothing. Yeah, that's a lesson you learn the hard way: is evaluating your soul ring hands and not banking on it because it, it gets nature's claimed or it gets misstepped or something like that. You're and you're like dead in the water. Yeah, I am. I am a fan of like one mana spells that do a lot more than. Like, Nature's Claim is a great example, also. Oh, the weirdest... Yeah. Here, you tell me Tell me the other card you think you have, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and think of a... Think oh, of yeah, well... Um, yeah, this is partially because, like, Vampire or Vampiric Tutor just got reprinted, but, like, all of these, like, top-of-deck tutors, like Mystical Tutor, Orly Tutor, um, if you want to go really deep, Personal Tutor, um, all these cards are tutor cards at the top of your library... They're kind of the reason that I've been playing Thought Scour more and more. I I mainly play it in my Tasker deck just because like okay Thought Scour it's target player mills too and yeah. then you draw a card. Oh that so, okay that what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Tome Scour, <laughs> which is oh. <laughs> no I'm not playing Tome Scour. I'm playing no Thought Scour it can drips so it's like it's card parity but if you're playing a lot of Delve stuff it like it it functionally gets you mana for those Delve spells but. In a pinch, if your opponent, like, Vampire Tutors for something, or get this, if they Doomsday, and you can Thought Scour their Doomsday pile, oh my gosh. It's, yeah, just, I don't know, it's a that's pretty it's another card that's kind of versatile. There's kind of a lot of things going on. Like, maybe you, you're playing Sensei's top, you can, like, kind of flush the top of your library, and I don't know. There's kind of a, lot, a few oh, yeah, that's small interactions. Talk about kind of, yeah, that's interesting. And, and any deck that plays Graveyard Interaction, right, Thought, thought Scour is... Easily, I'd say, on the power level of, you know, your ponders and stuff like that. Because you are still technically yeah. getting three looks, right? And as the versatility, like you mentioned, opposing top of deck tutors. That's interesting, actually. I don't think I've I ever think played that card. I think it's that needs to be on more people's radars. I, I don't know if it's like a, you always jam it over. Like, I would still play ponder and purity over it, but it, it's still like a, it's a neat tool to have in your toolbox. I, lo- I love seeing the influence from, like, you playing Grixis. Uh, Grixis Death Shadow or just playing Death Shadow <laughs> like yeah. in your deck but he's like oh I love I love Thought Scour Thought Scour so, sweet dude it's so sweet so sweet yeah very disturbing art you know just what you want just what you I want I think like one of the one of the first cards they ever traded for was a Thought Scour boss from the past damn brings but you back that one's mega scuffed like edges all white and everything but what was the other card you were thinking of the other card I think what was the context? I've, I've just got the thoughts. I was thought scour thing has scoured every other thought from my head. Okay, really, never mind. No, no, no. I really been pulled in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, more sweet blue cards. All right, well, let's what go through the gonna... categories, right? I mean, we're talking about counter spells. What's your favorite counter spell? Um, I mean, cryptic commands up there, but in EDH, I just I love playing Mystic Confluence, just because you can't really play it anywhere else besides like Cube. Yeah, that's just a. Uh, 
Yeah, con- it's from like the 2015 pre-con, I think. It's like you can choose three and any any number of the three. And it's like there's the mana leak mode, the bounce a creature mode, and the card draw mode. So it's just like, again, I mean, there's a theme with all these blue cards, but very versatile. Um, it is kind of expensive for a counter spell, but the fact that you can like mana leak and then draw two cards, I think kind of like make it, makes up for that. Makes up for um, that. Yeah, I mean, outside of... Mental misstep. Mental misstep, obviously. I've always been mm-hmm. kind of a sucker for your cancels the exile. Yeah, like uh, Dissipate. Dissipate, uh, yeah. Void Shatter. Exactly, and I think a big part of that has just been like our deck, our um, meta, meta game had a lot of graveyard decks. Yes, it and, did. And in a lot of ways, just like having the option to exile a card and not have to deal with it ever again was really nice, and it just it felt good, you know? It's like, all right, I paid three mana for it. Cancels aren't necessarily the best thing you can play, uh-huh. but I do enjoy not having to deal with it. And, I mean, if we're going to go even further, right, uh, Summary Dismissal, what a card. Yeah, what was that one? Exiles, blue. exiles everything else on the stack. Yeah, that's a good one. Or Time Stop, oh my god. I mean, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm a fan of, of counter spells that don't actually say counter on them, right? Yeah, time stops a, a nice one too. Just end the turn for six mana. And they they printed I, a, a new one of those too, didn't they? Yeah, discontinuity. Discontinuity. Yeah, but you were talking about the the exile cancels. I back when I was playing with like my high school group, like I, I had a friend who was um, his favorite deck was Marin, and it was like I would just hold on these exile spells for like the first time he played Fleshbag Marauder. I was like, I, I don't want to deal with you bringing this card back anymore. Just get it out of here. I feel like that's maybe it's the thing that's kind of overlooked a lot in those spells. Just exile is good. Exile is yeah, good. They can't ever have it back. Especially if people are trying to recur things, right? Not having to deal with it. Yeah, even Force Negation exiles. So, hey. Yep. A little, little more expensive. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, it gets you there. All right, so you, you and I have a have a bit of a disagreement on this next card. Um, <laughs> you have, I think, an assessment of turnabout that fills me with anger. Would you like to Would yeah. you like to let our audience I, know? I mean, I was kind of joking. I said turnabout is like mana geyser, but cooler. Okay, I mean, <sighs> it's got it's got blue. Blue is the color of coldness. You know, fire ice, very classic card. Ice blue. You know, it's. It's technically, like, semantically, it's a cooler card. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you got me on that front. Yeah, but turnabout, usually I use it to, to untap my lands. Um, it's been, uh, the like, the linchpin of a lot of win conditions in these kind of blue control decks. Like I was talking about earlier with, uh, like, Archaeomancer recurring in it a lot. And then, um, yeah, turnabout... I don't know if it's I don't, okay. I don't know if it's cooler than Mana Geyser, but it is. It is kind of analogous. You know, it generates a lot of mana. It's a four ritual. And five. Because yeah. why wouldn't Blue also get a good ritual? I mean, yeah. Is there no line that will not be crossed? <laughs> I mean, High Tide, Frantic Surge, Turnabout, uh, all these. Ooh. Well, no. I mean, Simon, how does how does it feel to know that? The best wheel is in blue. Time spiral. How's that feel? I don't know if time spiral is the best <laughs> wheel. Really? Okay. Sometimes you want cards in your graveyard. That's true. That's true. Though, yes, time spiral is busted. 
wish I'd bought it when it wasn't a hundred dollars. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah, but untapping blue lands like pretty good. That's a pretty nightmare. Good. That's a nightmare for anyone you're playing against. But then again, right when you're playing blue in EDH at least, if Time Spiral is not being played in the game, where you, a turn where you win the game, you probably don't want your opponents getting seven more cards. You know? Yeah, we. Yeah, talk about that more. Because, like, as opposed to, like, when we were discussing red, it's like, oh, like, Wheel of Fortune, you give your opponent seven cards, red doesn't have the luxury of worrying about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But okay. ideally, right, when you're playing blue in EDH, if, if Time's Ball is not a, uh, a storm win con for you in some way, right, where you're just getting new grips and trying to generate a bunch of mana with it, giving your opponents seven new cards, especially if you've been playing a game where, you're tr- where you've been trying to trade resources to them and pull ahead... That can often bring people back into game, into the game, right? That's true. Like, so it's actually maybe an example of like where putting blue mana on a card makes it worse. Yeah, right? I mean time spawn in <laughs> red. I love that. <laughs> I just love that. Oh man, time spawn red. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, oh man. Now, oh, oh. So it's like this, this, this torment, this torment of just disappointment. <laughs> I just want to, want to experience the, the maybe I'll, maybe I'll draw red mana symbols over a copy of a Time Spiral. <laughs> this is not advisable. No one do this at home. Do not see yeah. me if you do this. I do not condone <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. So we kind of, you know, we talked about things blue does, draws cards. What are some of the more like unique? unique cards that you personally enjoy playing with like i have i have a couple pretty good ones but i'm not sure like i mean i know you play really pretty attached to that control play style well what are what are the ones you're thinking of uh because i feel like you're you're more known for playing like the off the wall cards (laughs) and i'm more known for like using well-known cards in a weird way if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes sense to me i mean my favorite i think kind of out of nowhere trick in blue is, is the card Reigns of Power. Which oh boy. <laughs> it's four mana, two colors, two blue, swaps, it swaps creatures that two players control, and all those creatures get haste. So, anyone that has a super dominant board state that they're going to win the game next turn, you win the game instead. Yeah, um, you any, anyone playing Aristocrats, you can get them to sack their whole board in response to it, because the alternative is them losing everything to you and you getting the value, right? Yeah. So it's a board wipe, it's an insurrection, you can swap two opponent's creatures just to mess with them. Like, someone attacks into an opponent and you swap the other people's creatures, so you actually have, you get favorable trades from two players. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's it really embodies this kind of niche of blue where, like, you're getting very versatile value out of a card that doesn't just, you know, can't, doesn't just counterspell or draw a bunch of cards attached to it. Yeah, it kind of, well, you, you do kind of have to set it up, but it's like, you're, you're in blue, so you have those tools to kind of like counter something here, maybe like tap something over here, but like, when you, when you do set it up, it's, it's just so powerful, like it pays you off so much. There's, there's so many situations where like, you can just get like a tremendous amount of power from, from Reigns of Power, but, um, I mean, like, even just, like, someone swings at you and then, like, you steal another player's board state to then block those creatures. It's, like, there, it's, like, it gained you a whole bunch of life. It also maybe, like, traded off with the person that was attacking you, and it also, like, affected this other player, too. So it's, like, 
you're completely like redefining like what the board state is just like in this one one combat step yeah in worst case scenario it's a fog right yeah yeah not a bad fog honestly not, not even a bad fog <laughs> It also, like, it, it, it punishes people for playing these, like, free sack outlets, which are getting more popular, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, the, aristocrat, the aristocrats has gotten a lot of tools. Once again, it's, mm-hmm. one of those, it's one of those archetypes that are consistently, in Commander products, is given more tools in standard sets as well. It's also given a lot, a lot like, you have new cards, like, better reanimation spells. There was that, like, Call of the Death Dweller or whatever from Ixalan. I've actually been looking at. I mean, it's not. It's no. It's no unearth. But or from uh, Ikoria. Ikoria, yeah, nice on Ikoria. You know, things with I in the beginning of them. <laughs> All the same. Yeah, I mean, just like just imagine doing your uh, your Corvold players board state with this. It's like, well, Ooh. do do I sack everything and like draw all these cards and then just discard them, or like do I give it to my opponent and hope they're like they're not going to punish me too much? It's, it's like. They could just be done with the game there. Like, if you just sack their whole board, they could just be done. Yeah, and and anyone, it, it, it's it's this um this shift in the in the napkin. You take the napkin, Ooh. even if your opponent's already taken it. You snatch it right out of their hand. It's yours now. We should get like a reigns of power altar with like JoJo stuff on it. <laughs> Funny Valentine grabbing everybody's napkins. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be sweet. It'd be sweet. It'd be sweet. All right, I've given you some time. Give me a card. Hit me with a card. What, what was the what was the prompt? The weirdest blue card. The weirdest, the weirdest favorite, not necessarily fitting into the main kind of three archetypes. Card. I mean, I I put down on the outline. I put down Ether Sworn Adjudicator, but I feel like that one still that one still fits, right? It's just like another giant control mana sink. And it's not mono blue. I don't know. I feel like. Well, okay. Hit I feel me. like we've played. With Ethan's one adjudicator enough that like, the card's sweet, it's cool, it's not necessarily like the sort of efficiency you might necessarily want mm-hmm. <laughs> out of a, out of a blue creature, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, just a mortify on a stick. <laughs> six mana, mortify that I guess you could do multiple times a turn for six mana. <laughs> yeah, but hey, mortify on a stick, ain't nothing, ain't nothing wrong with that. The weird, the weirdest blue card. I want you to think about this. Well, I'll keep going. Um, I am a connoisseur of blue enchantments with weird effects. Um, and how can you talk about blue enchantments with weird effects without bringing up the mother of all telepathies, Zer's Weirding? <laughs> it is a telepathy, isn't it? <laughs> it is a telepathy. Actually, I think it's a telepathy for you, too. So it's actually worse than telepathy in that regard. Maybe but it just uh, means you get to put your hand down. You don't have to. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to, don't have to hold your group of fifteen cards. No one's gonna look through your group of fifteen cards, anyways. Um, yeah. So the text is reading. There's reading reads that everyone plays with their hand face up, and whenever a player draws a card, any other player may pay two mana, and that player puts the card in the graveyard, in, or pay two life, and that player may put, has to put the card in the, in the graveyard instead of into their hand when they draw it. So we're talking yeah. about cards that shift the way the entire game is played. Um, that's definitely one of them. I think in decks where you are drawing a bunch of cards and you have ways of recurring things in your graveyard, um, mm-hmm. it's a very strong effect. Um, I th- I could I think easily find ways to leverage it in like my chart my chart deck just because the nature of drawing so many cards, and 
not necessarily caring whether or not people draw threats just because I have answers to it. Whereas mm. other people at the table might not necessarily want this card to be drawn at all, so they're willing to pay life for it. And it gives you the option of basically countering things before they're even in hand, right? So if you see, like, an uncounterable threat or something you can't actually deal with, you can get rid of it. And even further, if you have effects that don't actually draw you cards, like Azam, uh, Tomorrow, Azami's Familiar, stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, just make you put cards into your hand, they can't actually stop it with Zer's Weirding. So there are ways yeah. to, circum- to circumvent it. I think I've seen this in, like, a couple Aloro decks, like, decks that just have a lot of life gain, like, baked into them. That's kind of a, a way to circumvent it, but I think uh, last time we were talking about this, like, we mentioned you can maybe, like, maybe there's a way to, like, put this in an aggressive deck where you can, like, if you're the one that's really beating down, like, then, like, your opponents are less incentivized to pay the life, but, like, you can still pay the life. I don't know, there's just kind of... Maybe not the most powerful card, but definitely, like, a lot of weird stuff going on, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thought, right? Putting in a deck where the only thing you care about are board wipes, like your opponent's having board mm-hmm. wipes, so and any time you see a board wipe drawn, you just pay two life, and that's it. Yeah. Like, they, can, they can play all the creatures and stuff like that. You don't, get, you don't, you don't care. You're going to outlace them. Play it in five-color infect. <laughs> <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> well, but then it's like their life total doesn't even... It's not their life Yeah, 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 not, yeah, in fact, right. You have to do it, do it in a in an actual life total based deck. We okay, have, I, I, I came up with a bl- with a blue card. I actually do want to talk about. All right, hit me. With not it. okay. Not it's not it's not like my favorite weird blue card, but I do I do enjoy like the game the the ways it makes me play the game, and that's perplexing chimera. I okay. I I don't usually play decks that like like to play around with perplexing chimera, but I do think I want to mention it just because. It like it. Uh, it really puts you to the test. It kind of reshapes how you have to approach everything, because you basically just like can't target anything, right? Yeah, it's it's another one of those kind of. I mean, it makes the game a lot more social. Everyone's like, oh, will this get chimera? Will this not get chimera? Should I yeah. point a removal spell at it so I can get control of the chimera or just kill it? Uh huh. I mean, yeah, it's one of those cards that shifts the way the game is played without just being a straightforward counterspell or something like that. And I think that's really when I think of blue cards that aren't necessarily um, the best, or not the best, but like aren't necessarily like just straightforward blue cards, I think Perplexing Chimera is one of them that comes to the top. And if you've ever cloned a Perplexing Chimera... Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> that's too much. I mean, it really, when there are four copies of Perplexing Chimera on the table, oh my God. active player, non-interact, or active player, non-active player interactions really come in handy. That's just like, that's like musical chairs. <laughs> <laughs> You're just all passing around Chimeras. That'd be an interesting variant. Um, EDH, but everybody starts with a Perplexing Chimera on the table. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, like, even that thought experiment just kind of illustrates why I think this card's cool. It's just... It makes you play in a way that's not like anything else. It's like, like it's not quite a counterspell, but it feels like you're trying to play around this weird counterspell the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it folds to board wipes, but so do a lot of creatures. Ah. <laughs> Who cares? If there folds no- to Cyclonic Rift, cards unplayable. <laughs> no, it dies to Doom. Oh, it doesn't die to Doomblade, though. It does pass the Doomblade test. Oh, yeah, hey, there we go. 
It's actually great against Doomblade. Wow. <laughs> wow. Incredible. We finally beat Doomblade. <laughs> it, it, it took 15 years, but we're <laughs> finally where we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like that's the thing about Blue, right? Is there just so many cool, because, because it's covered such like a wide range of design space, there are so many cool cards in it. I mean, there's a seven mana, like five, five rabbit, you know, I mean, Vizardrix is incredible. Who oh, would? excuse me. That's a six, six. It's so. a six, six. Even better. Wow. Yeah. I just opened a copy of that online, <laughs> sold it for a cool nickel. Point <laughs> <laughs> five virtual nickels. Yeah. Point five <laughs> virtual nickels. <laughs> but yeah. I, we could go I, on. Mean, I, I had a, I had a, a friend that collected copies of Vizardrix. Just because, like, and for people who don't know, Vizardrix, it's a 6-6 six, six beast for six and a blue. It's a it's a bad card, but it's just, like, I don't know. It's another funny, like, why do they print this blue card? Yeah. Wait, was, it, was it a rotted to be a rabbit? I think it's a rabbit. We got to go to gather. Oh, Let's go. Oh, we did it. Yeah, it is actually it's a rabbit. It's actually wow. a rabbit now? Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> this I think is a is a triumph. It's a yeah, I wonder, if, beast. I wonder if you made a commander deck with Vizardrix as your commander, whether people would let you just do it. <laughs> you know, like, 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 okay, I know it's not legendary, but like it's Vizardrix. Just cross right? out, cross out the type line, or write <laughs> write out the type line, write legendary creature rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd be I'd be cool with it. Yeah, <laughs> something tells me. Oh, yeah, every card has a cheaty face sleeved behind it. <laughs> the classic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what I, what I was trying yeah. to is, like, there's so many blue cards, right? Like, that are just cool, they have unique effects. I mean, I could talk about Hive Mind for hours. I could talk about Eye of the Storm for a while. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just there's so many effects that, like, to me, I enjoy playing as blue that don't necessarily fall in, like, what you might want to be doing if you're trying to win playing blue. Yeah, yeah. But... I think we've kind of we've gotten to the essence of like what blue is known for, what it what it does well, maybe why people do, which is also the reason that people don't necessarily like playing against it, funnily <laughs> enough, and kind of yeah, where we, it where it seems like blue is going, right? Yeah, where it's going. Yeah, we we did kind of focus on like the control side of blue, which is like I mean it's not it's not the only thing blue does. Like blue does a lot of stuff, um, but I I think it's it's good to kind of learn how to play with those control tools because like one of the most fun things I think you can do in magic is like using really strong, like a, a really strong base to be able to play like something that's really silly and kind of like, I don't know, kind of janky. Like when, whenever I think about that, I think about your mono blue Charbelter deck where it's like, it's playing like, like soul ring, mana crypt, like counter spell, like all, all these very solid enabler cards. But at the end of the day, it's like, trying to use this very fun wink on. And I mean, at the end of the day, like play magic's about fun. And like, if you're not playing blue in a way that makes it fun for you, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Blue, blue has the tools to enable any strategy you want to do. Right. Yeah. And if you're just using that to play, you know, lab man, Thassa's Oracle, <laughs> people may not necessarily vibe with that just cause it's like, Okay, we get it. You win. But if you use that, if you leverage that and use it to do something off the beaten path, I mean, the the look people people I've never had someone be mad at me. Actually, what I've only had one person be mad at me for pointing <laughs> yeah. a charbelter at them 
for 40 damage. I mean, <laughs> nobody sees that coming, especially on a blue deck. And it's a good time. It's a damn good time. Yeah. But oh. I feel like that, that that's a good sentiment to, to leave the episode on. Just go forth and use your strong blue cards to enable some really, some big junkers. <laughs> some, some do what you want and make sure your opponents can maybe do what they want, but mostly so you can do what you want. Yeah, well, well put, Simon. Well put. <laughs> I've really, I've really, I'm proud of my wordsmithing today. I think I've really managed to be completely cyclical in a lot of the things I said. It's like, yeah. here's my hypothesis, and in conclusion, my hypothesis. <laughs> I mean, that's just like blues about scientific method, you know, about research. That's just like, that's that's the game, baby. It's, that's blue. That's mind magic. It's all about the mind magic. All, all right, right, Daniel. Well, this wonderful. has been episode Eiffel 65, a.k.a. the blue episode of uh, of the Mana Guys podcast. Join us next week when we maybe talk about power level or social contract, something like that. Yeah, I think we're I think we the first episode we recorded uh, but did not edit was about the social contract. And I think we're going to revisit that. Maybe we'll even still call it episode one, um, mm. but talk about episodes two through four a bit in it just to, you know, add a little extra layer of confusion. See, it comes full circle. We're, we're manipulating time, you know. We're like creating a temporal rift in the podcast schedule. It's everything's coming up. Yeah, I think creating a closed temporal loop is our end goal here. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you next time on the other end of that temporal loop, Simon. All, All right. right. If we ever make it out, peace. <laughs>